This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Greg Brady, uh, Shiba Siddiqui's our producer, Gord Rennie, our technical director, plus this uh, infamous quote that got a lot of run a year ago. I would have said it's about eight, nine months ago, uh, but no, it was pre-Christmas shopping that the uh, finance minister of Canada said something that we'll play you a few minutes from now. But um, I have not been to this mall, I don't think, and I'm I'm sure that I don't shop at this particular uh, jewelry store. Um, the last jewelry I bought might have been at the Bay, and it was well worth getting. Uh, Shiba Siddiqui's our producer. What about White Carrot White Carrot Co.? Is that the best way I can call it? <laughs> is it the store in Brampton? This is a store in a mall in Brampton. I think at, Brampton, at Bramley City Center. Okay. Uh, and people were out there having, you know, a nice evening, a nice afternoon, going shopping with their families. And uh, there was a robbery in the middle of the mall, and here's what it sounded like. Okay, so um, do your best uh, description of all that sound before the the swearing starts. So if this is a, these I take it someone had a hammer from that. These are these are two men in this store. It's a jewelry store. One's wearing a gray hoodie. One's wearing a black hoodie. They have some. They have I think black balaclavas on there or masks on their faces. So you can't even see who they are. You can just tell that they're men. One of them's holding a hammer and he's trying to smash the glass of the jewelry store, like you know, like the little display glasses. Yeah. And there are about six or seven security guards that come running, screaming at him to drop the hammer. Obviously, he says, no, I would be dropping. <laughs> I heard that one. <laughs> and um, then they sort of tackle him. He jumps up onto the glass. Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going, buddy? You're in the middle of a mall. And then they tackle him to the ground. And then his friend jumps down and takes off. And I think his friend gets away. His friend, yeah, his friend gets away. They got one and not the other. But he drops the backpack, the most important part of it. The backpack, I think, would have jewelry in it that he filled stole. Filled with jewelry. Right. It looks like it's full. He drops that on his escape. So there goes that. So can you imagine, wouldn't you say, I think there's eight, maybe nine security guards, all, all total. They all have vests. Some of them have little things in their pocket, but none of them clearly have any weapons. And I'm not saying a mall security guard in, in Canada should be carrying like a Glock pistol, <laughs> but they have no way... To stop, like they, well, they, they have, they, they have. I shouldn't say manpower. They have people power because it's men and women. There's a couple guards. of female security but they're guards. They're going correct? to take. There's they, even a bald one. <laughs> Male. <laughs> they're going to take. <laughs> they take him on and they track him to the ground. I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea for mall security to have any kind of a weapon. What about a taser, though? Where's the struggle with with a taser in a case like that? We just had a story right at the start of the school year. Of a third, or was that at the end of last school year? Um, of a thirteen-year-old in Oshawa who got tased. Now that's police tasing her, but they tased her because she was out of control. They chased her across the schoolyard and tased her. And I said to you, they should have tackled her. Okay, that's a but really that's traumatic moment. Apples These and guys oranges. Are, right, it police is. Police officers and security mall security guards. I'm willing to give them tasers in this case. Okay, why do Brink security? Let me ask both of you guys. Brink security trucks. Those guys are armed to the gills. Oh, it's amazing. So, yeah. and what are they protecting? Valuable items. It's called money. What? Are, what's in that store? Valuable items. 
Yeah, Why, but what's the that? Uh, it almost seems hypocritical to let Brinks guys be carry like Rambo esque uh, weapons, and these mall cops just have their own hands. They don't even have yeah. gloves on. But the mall cop is supposed to be all encompassing of the mall, right? It's not by the jewelry store themselves, where the, where the Brinks security is hired by Brinks to guard that one specific thing. Right, I know. But so White Carrot Co. should have their own security guard. Yeah, they should to avoid this. I guess, but is is he allowed? What I don't know is, and I'm assuming it's they're not. They wouldn't be allowed to have a security guard with a taser. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm fixated on the taser idea. Probably not. I don't like that idea. What I, about a club, I, like a like a, a nightstick, like a. I swear I see cops at at um, or sorry, not cops, security at Scotiabank Arena or at a concert that have a stick. Yeah. Just in case. Well, I that, swear that they do. And and do they not in the mall? That's what I'd love to. If you're a security guard, you can text the show 416-870-6400. And our show would like you to, we'd like to rent you out actually for certain shows <laughs> to be in here. Just for, to, for security? Right, yeah. When Gord tries to attack. But 416-870-6400. <laughs> Sheba, I think there's a way to do it, to give them a little more. Like, don't you feel bad for them? They're all on video. They're probably going to get called into a meeting later today at the mall. <laughs> um, let's review the footage. What happened? There's nine of you and this. two of them. Brady, they're not trained in this. Tackling down a, a thief at a at the jewelry the mall jewelry store? No, apps. They should be trained in this. I this is going to obviously lead to that. Yeah. But I mean, what happens at the mall? Who robs a store at the mall? Like if I'm thinking, if you you two idiots, if you're going to rob a jewelry store, do it like an independent. Not I'm not saying you should. I'm not condoning this, but go somewhere where it's not. It's there aren't eight security guards to tackle you. I guess so, but it, you it's, actually thought you were going to get away with this. That one bald security guard, though, he came out of nowhere, and you watched he was. that video. <laughs> he, he, He's quick. He had a lot of pent up frustration that he just got yeah. out of there. But but I assume, don't you think a jewelry store is more that high risk area? I'm not going to diminish like you know. I'm looking at other stores there, Sport Check, but they but or uh, Cinnabon or Booster Juice. You're not going to maybe get a lot of robberies at those places. Like you've got to be in those high. And Usually there's a security guard, though, at higher-end stores, yeah, the high, in and, the mall, and, anywhere, there is a security guard that stands at the front. Like, if you go to Yorkdale Mall, many of those high-end stores have a security guard standing right at the front of the, inside the store. Yeah. Uh, as as you walk, there's somebody that opens the door for you, and then there's another person who's the security guard who stands there intimidating you, watching your every they move. They do. And I, every time I say hi to them, I regret it, because I'm like, they can't talk back. They're almost like those, uh, the the British uh, guys with the <laughs> puffy hats who protect So this is Buckingham on White Palace. Carrot. White Carrot needs their own security. They do. But uh, but I bet you a bunch of other stores do as well. Maybe stores can share. I I I'm I don't have a problem with uh, tasers for security guards. Now, we can't give tasers to, like, the shopper's drug mart cashier, who's, st- like, the concept is don't chase anybody now. It feels like that's the case. Yeah. And they were chasing that guy in the mall. Once he got out of the store, I've heard from so many cops that say, or at least two that say, we're not allowed to chase people down the street. We're yeah. not, we're told not to well, now I remember when they leave I a store. I used to work at Eaton Center. This is going way back yeah. when I was in my university. I used to work at Gap Kids at univers- uh, uh, at Eaton Center. And they told us, if uh, don't stop anybody from shoplifting. They're like, don't interfere. Don't get out. Just point it out. Let the manager know. But do not intervene. I told you that story where I grabbed a guy stealing an import CD and held him against the wall. Yes. And then we took him to the back room. Two of us did. Like we held him hostage until his mom came. And I told you that story where I did chase a guy uh, when I worked at Radio Shack, but he escaped because he ran further than Super fast uh, <laughs> Radio Shack. <laughs> Those Radio Shack customers. Oh, no, I just got tired. On a, I got winded very quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So here's uh, the famous clip. It's a one-year anniversary of Christian Freeland 
Um, canceling Disney Plus. Um, let's hear the clip. I think there's two underrated, really good parts, but I'm not sure which one's my favorite. She was explaining how times are tough, and she gets it. And um, and this is the strategy to get out of trouble. Here's Canada's finance minister on November 9th, 2022. I personally, as a mother and wife, look carefully at my credit card bill once a month. And last Sunday, I said to the kids, "You're older now. You don't want to watch Disney anymore." Let's cut that Disney Plus subscription. So we cut it. It's only $13.99 a month that we're saving, but every little bit helps. And I think every mother in Canada is doing that right Mm. now. And I want to say to all of those mothers, I believe that I need to take exactly the same approach with the federal government's finances because that's the money of Canadians. It's just so good, Shiva. It's so good. Well, not every mother, because we still have it. We use it all the time. I watch Reckless it sometimes spending. more than the kids. Reckless. Reckless spending. Okay, I get her point, though. Okay, when when it first came out, you and I did make a lot of fun of her. Like, this, this is a ridiculous comment. The example she used was terrible. Disney Plus. And by the way, subscri- subscribership has only gone up. It's, yes. Uh, it's, it's going up and up. Uh, let's see, I had it right here. It's We're at 146.7 million subscribers globally. For 2023. And there's so, a, yeah. And there's a ton of great adult films on Disney Plus. It's, oh, not, Disney it's not all Plus, bouncy cartoons. Disney Plus's revenue just for this year so far is $6.6 billion. I, Do you like better that she checks her credit card bill once a month and she said that out loud? Man, I check it for fraud. I check it like every three days. But, uh, it, or that it's every mother in Canada is having this yeah, conversation. Where's dad? Does that, dad ever? Is dad oh, so out feel, of the streaming discussion? by that. A little. I see. No, dad's one sits the, on the download because he's watching, you know, Marvel movies and I stuff. Guess. He doesn't want it to go. Oh, the whole Star Wars library is on yeah. there. Come on. Anyway, hopefully, you know, that's $13 a month you could have saved over the last 12 months. So it's at least $160. And, uh, and I'm not sure what that gets you anymore. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Because in the past, affordability had been defined by market. of market, and that's not very affordable. Instead, we're going to be people-focused rather than market-focused. It'll be based on the person's income. A third of the person's income is how we define affordability. That's the mayor of the city of Toronto yesterday. Um, You could see there was an energy and excitement about this new plan, and it nearly passed unanimously, 24 to 1. The plan would have the city aiming to build close to 70,000 rent-controlled homes in the next six and a half years. Yes, it's doable from a get shovels in the ground and build up and make properly affordable housing uh, for people in a city where we're, we're just getting that missing middle scenario where it seems like haves and have-nots, and we've got to do a better way uh, to certainly keep the middle class engaged in a thriving city. And this may do just that, while looking out for the most vulnerable people at the same time. Uh, Alejandro Bravo is the city councillor for Ward 9 Davenport, and she's kind enough to join us now. Thank you for the time. I I saw a lot of excitement with Mayor Chow. Were you equally excited that there's a lot that has to happen here, but this is a big step to announce this and get it passed? Well, Greg, it is an exciting day, and it's exactly the way you put it. We have to uh, make sure vulnerable people have a roof over their heads, but the situation that we're facing in Toronto is that nobody can afford to live here anymore. And we're like, we're just pricing out, you know, transit workers, nurses, uh, all kinds of workers who can't live um, in the city anymore. And uh, that's really impacting the economy. So this is like raising our ambitions, 
developing a vision, doing the work that we have to do on the inside to get our act together, and then saying uh, to the federal government, we're ready to go. And you know what's really Mm. exciting is that you see the United Way, the Atkinson Foundation. We're talking about, you know, uh, groups like that that are saying, yes, we're excited too, and we want to be part of the solution. So this is an all-hands-on-deck thing to solve the thing that's really one of the biggest threats that cities ever faced. I think you guys could be pretty proud of a, of a great legacy decades from now if it all comes together um, in the next six years. Were you surprised um, that it's hard to get 25 people in any room anywhere to agree on anything in this day and age? Were you surprised it was almost unanimous? Well, I think that you see that the way that this mayor has come in, she said we have to have bigger ambitions because the problem is bigger than what we've been saying. And she's been really good at talking to counselors who may not agree with her on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think we work together and that's the way it's got to be because it's it's not like anyone in the city is saying, oh, housing and affordability isn't a problem. Everybody knows it is. The question here is, do we keep doing decade after decade what we've been doing, which is saying, oh, the market will take care of it and getting the same results, which is the market can't take care of it because the market is about taking profit. And what we're saying here is this is city land. Uh, city tools and what it requires is like public vision and public oversight. And we're going to change the way that we do business internally at the city to make this work faster. And it also means protecting um, housing that's already affordable. We come every month, come to our community council applications for demolitions of buildings where there are affordable units. Right. Um, And, and you know what we can afford to, to, price people out of the housing market to build more expensive condos for investors. So this is really like generational change. And it's about our kids and about their kids being able to afford the city where they were born. Alejandro Bravo, our guest on Toronto Today, 640 Toronto. How confident are you the federal government can uh, step in, step up uh, and and deliver funding here? It's a a big ask. It's a massive ask uh, for them to help out the city of Toronto. Yeah, look, it's not a small price tag, but we know that uh, one affordable um, or or supportive housing unit um, is going to save a whole bunch of money. It's it's three, four times cheaper than an emergency shelter, even cheaper than putting somebody in jail and way cheaper than having somebody in hospital for a month, which is where people end up when they're homeless. And and so we're going to save a whole bunch of money and it comes out of the same pocket, right? It's the same it's the same tax pocket. Why not invest in what's going to keep people safe and what's going to help the economy, what's going to keep workers here and keep our industries going? Um, you know, doctors will tell you that the best prescription for everything that ails you is housing. And we're going to start there. We're going to solve problems before they get really critical for people. Um, and I am excited. And it's really nice of you to say that we should be proud. We've got a lot of work ahead of us and we need the people of Toronto to get behind this. 6,500 rent geared to income um, homes. Give me a sense. Now, the mayor mentioned a one-third threshold, one-third of income. So if, let's say I made $60,000 gross a year. I'm assuming you're t- the city's telling me you're going to be paying $20,000 in rent per, per the year. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, get rent geared to income is really thinking about people that are on um, Ontario disability support payments or somebody who's working um, sort of for uh, minimum wage. Um, that that that's not, that's really about keeping people housed who are there's absolutely no way that they can afford um, uh, housing otherwise, 
but but yes, the, uh, the the rest of the proportion is for is for affordable and for rent control. So that if you are are making sixty thousand a year, you can afford to live in the city of Toronto. Like right now, we know that like sixty percent of the jo- the job openings in Ontario may, are for twenty dollars an hour or less, and you need forty dollars an hour to live in the city of Toronto as a single person. So uh, there is more to be done around the the middle. Uh, the middle part of the middle class piece, and that's why that those uh, there's a, like a real range of 65,000 affordable, with 6,500 being uh, rent geared to income for the people that need it most. Is there some stress that the city is accumulating projects, important projects like this one? I'd, I'd bring up the waterfront East LRT. I, mm-hmm. I'd even I'd even bring up the the FIFA World Cup in 2026. Like you guys are kind of out there on your own on an island right now and you made big commitments before the federal or provincial government stepped in. Like we're not all jumping into the water together at the same time here. Is there any stress about that? Yeah, totally. The the FIFA thing is as if from my point of view, it should never have happened the way that it did. Um that was that was a mistake that was the previous administration mm-hmm. but looking forward you know the like you, you mentioned the East Waterfront project. Like everything that we do in the city of Toronto, our transit system, our our our, our tourism, um, it generates so much money for the provincial and federal government. This is uh, the the economic motor of the entire country, and we don't get it back. We don't get the love back for the, yeah. the income taxes that we pay or the money that we generate. In fact. When we put money into projects, we lose money. Um, so what we're saying is make the balance right. Yeah. You cannot have your economic motor needs a little grease right now. It needs a little love. And the best way that you can show it is to help to bring to completion the big uh, infrastructure projects that we need where we're going to add housing and also this this piece around the housing affordability, which is going to yeah. change the city for generations. Alejandro Bravo, I know you got a ton to do today, same as tomorrow, and then uh, budget consultations through the next couple of weeks. Please stay right. in touch with us, and let's keep talking, um, and I appreciate you coming on this morning. Love to be here with you, Greg, anytime. Take care. Thanks very much. Alejandro Bravo joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We uh, have checked in before, and we always appreciate his time, but um, this uh, is definitely an issue that I think he's not the only pharmacist facing at this particular point in time. Um, so I want to bring on uh, Kiro Massey, owner of Lawler Pharmacy, to join us on Toronto Today. You always make time for us, and I appreciate it for our listeners. Thanks very much for the time today. Thank you for having me. So that's Lawler Pharmacy in Toronto and Rylander Pharmacy in Scarborough now. So Rylander, okay, we're expanding out. Is that because yeah, of the- yeah, it was. I always, I always had ownership there, and I used to always work from time to time. But now I'm there permanent two days a week, two days a week at Lawler. So I'm kind of dancing between two pharmacies. All this radio attention and media attention has spread you too thin. We don't want to see you burn out, but. Well, do my best, my friend. My best. <laughs> Tell me. So bottom line is um, this. You've got some criticism of the provincial government, and I actually think it's quite valid. What's happening right now with um, getting vaccines in publicly funded vaccines and what's happening with supply demand here? Why is this not working for for your business? So the vaccines this year, publicly funded vaccines. So that's flu shots, COVID, the new COVID shots are being provided or distributed exclusively by Shoppers Drug Mart to all pharmacy locations. I'm not sure if that's also the case for other uh, f- other independent pharmacies as well. Uh, but Pharmasave has about over 400 stores, I think, in Ontario. So that's, that's a pretty big, significant number uh, for them to take on uh, in terms of distribution, in addition to their own pharmacy, so it's Loblaws and Shoppers Drug Mart. And this 
contract was made between the provincial government and Choppers Drug Mart. Uh, I, I, I personally have no problem with whoever's distributing or supplying. Uh, the only thing that matters to me is that we're getting steady supply that meets the demand of our patients, and that simply hasn't happened. Moreover, uh, there seems to be a bit of a conflict of interest, and you know, you could argue with me as much as you like, but I mean, their pharmacies got supply two weeks before ours or before other independents. So question marks there. Um, they arrive in these gigantic ice boxes that are FedExed to the pharmacy at taxpayer expense, and then they would contain something like a 300-gram package, you know, something the size mm. of your palm, and it weighs about 25 pounds. So you do the math on this. The data I see, I think that's all very legitimate, and we've known the premier has said had mentioned almost Shoppers Drug Mart or just shoppers as a whole, um, you're you're saying like there's just we're not trading fairly here, basically, by giving one pharmaceutical company uh, this uh, smaller, more independent companies like yours or even a Rexall. They're not getting their fair share and, and that the customer has less options that way. That is that is there any other way to see it? The, I don't know about fair share for Rexall. I can't speak for Rexall. I can't speak sure. for Infamous. All I know is that I'm getting a fraction of what I'm actually ordering and the response that I'm getting from officials is, well, you're not vaccinating enough, and I'm just going to respond with, go fish. I've vaccinated more people in this province than just about anybody. Okay. Who do you have to give those numbers to, Kira? Sorry? Who do you have to give the vaccination numbers to? Someone's asking how many people you're vaccinating. Who does that get sent to? They see it. They see it in their database when we're processing the vaccines. And then based on that, they claim that, they 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 will allocate doses to your pharmacy based on how much you've administered, which makes sense, except the fact that yesterday the person, I was, the official that I was speaking to, said that you've administered 101 doses, and I I looked at my numbers and I actually administered 190. So it there is there is a pro, it's a system problem. It's not a Kiro problem as as they made in their official statement that it's a problem with a pharmacist. No, it's a problem with multiple pharmacies across this province, they're not able to provide to the patients. Patients are not vaccinated. Hospitals get clogged up in the winter. We all suffer. So, so yeah. I was going to ask, someone comes in for a, a flu shot tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Um, what's the response from your pharmacy? So it's going to completely depend on my supply. If if I don't have supply, then we're at Rylander last Monday, I've turned away something like 50 or 60 people. And they're high risk patients. So that 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 community there, they're they're like primarily South Asian of African descent. They're they're high risk because a lot of them are diabetic. They're more prone to diabetes genetically. They're more prone to heart disease genetically. So they're high risk patients. These are the ones that show up in your in your hospitals come winter. And we need to protect these people. And we're turning away fifty or sixty of them in a single day because we don't have supply. We asked for 200 doses last yeah. week. We ended up getting 20. So it's 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 a joke. So the, it's a problem with the process. I, I don't have an issue with, I don't care who distributes, okay? As long as I'm able to provide for the patients that count on me. What, if I'm not able to do this, then then they can they can go and do it themselves. Like, I, like I've, I've struggled enough with the vaccination program. It's already challenging enough. Enough pharmacies have already tapped out and they're they're not doing this anymore. Even prior to this shopper's bonanza, 
Okay, and this this is simply the the straw that broke my back. I understand it. Um, are people asking more for the flu shot or the COVID shot for you right now? Uh, so flu shot is, is is in higher demand. Flu oh. shot is definitely in higher demand, but there's a lot of people that are just getting both, and they can get both at the same point. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wonder about, and I don't, I, I can't figure out whether this is, comes from the government or not, but um, the the concept of public health has just been very one size fits all. And I wonder if you still are answering questions that you wish that the minister of health or public health officials would answer. People are always going to, I might come in and ask you five dumb questions about a toenail fungus infection. And you're like, how do you not know that? But I think with things like flu and COVID, there's been such a public campaign uh, Kiro, that I, I wonder if you feel like this isn't exactly, I, I can get, recommend it, but someone should have done this along the way is my point. Who's the minister of health again? <laughs> She's tough to find. Sylvia Jones. That's who that oh, is. Okay, sure. Yeah, great. Uh, like, again, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, I, I, I can't speak for people, uh, you know, or, or ministers or politicians. Like, I could care less for all of these people. Again, like, if you want to know my my, I guess, uh, two cents about, or my opinion uh, on conservatives and liberals and politicians. We'll talk after the show because there's young listeners. But okay? there's young, well, yeah, but there's old listeners they, too. But yeah, the, yeah, so they, but they, they, at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to educate people. And yes, people have more in-depth questions than they did before, and understandably so. There's been a lot of campaigns in the media. Was this running well at one point in time, though? That's the big thing I want to get to. Was this was this a more we all were, you know, panicked and, and we all were rushing and it we all running. Well, it was running, it, but it was running. It, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So we had, and, and that's exactly why I said that this year, a lot of pharmacies tapped out because it was too much administrative burden. You had to like hire extra staff. Mm. It's, it's a headache. Okay. But it was somewhat manageable this year. You threw into the mix a new distributor that doesn't have the the proper supply chain as much as they'd like to argue the proper supply chain to supply an additional i don't know 400 pharmacies and my fear is that this is a pilot program yeah where they they gave them pharmacy this year and then next year it's going to be all pharmacies across the province i gotcha i think I, okay. I, yeah so that's and again like if things were running well and they were able to do it efficiently Okay, and patients were getting what they need before the, the the respiratory illness season picks up. You wouldn't even hear me complain, and I've kept my mouth shut for two three weeks, and I tried to resolve this amicably. They said yesterday in the news that this is the first they've heard of this. That's, Bloody lie! That's not true. Okay, yeah, I I, I hear you. That, there's yeah, no I've way that's true. Left and right, and not just I've I've had colleagues that they complain to their MPs, so. Like this is just gaslighting at this point. Um, thank you for the time today. I, I sense the frustration and I get why that is because um, you're trying to do your job and it's frustrating to be able to tell people, I don't have what you're looking for. And, and they're desperate when people want um, a, a prescription of any kind, they're eager and they're, they've got, they've got energy for yeah, it and, one, and they want it. They thing, want it. Yeah. 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 Quickly, they quickly. Sent, we can they sent, they sent drivers to pick up the, the, the bloody boxes that like, there's like six of them in the pharmacy, in each of the pharmacies. Yeah. Okay. Because there's no ways to ship them back. They sent drivers yesterday to pick them up because I was on national news complaining about it. So it took that much for them to come and pick up their garbage. I gotcha. Hey, I got to move, but let's, uh, um, let's always make time for each other. I appreciate you coming on today.
My pleasure, sir. Take care. All right, there's Kiro Massey joining us uh, from Lawler Pharmacy, um, and he's he's ticked. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're very happy to have our next guest on. He's the mayor of Guelph. We enjoy our conversations with Mayor Cam Guthrie. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. I, I want to talk about your municipality and, and the, the, you know, I think all uh, municipalities, period. But I, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at what the city of Toronto is attempting to do. Do you, do you have any thoughts on, on the ambitious nature of it? It's, it's bold. Many people describe it as that, Cam. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I think, uh, you know, Mayor Chow is actually really come out of the gate and is looking to do absolutely everything possible to help with housing. And this is just another tool in the toolbox for her and her council to try to figure out. Uh, I think she's right to be saying that she's going to need upper levels of government help as well, because I think mm-hmm. the total financial burden of that can't be fully on the taxpayers' backs. But, uh, you know, the fact that she's looking at it in this in this way is, I think, very smart. The con- I, you can't find a consensus, I suppose, of uh, of Ontario mayors. I know you you actually retweeted. I watched the video of it with uh, Marianne Mead Ward, who's the mayor of Burlington, uh, talking about you know there's just been all these battles with the provincial government over criteria for housing targets. Um, are there a lot of mayors aligned saying they need more from the province, and there's just a lot of uh, uh, just a lot of miscommunication between the province, or, or are they just not doing the right things? There is alignment between all the uh, big city mayors. So the Ontario Big City Mayors Caucus is is very aligned on this issue. In fact, we've had uh, several motions that have been unanimous votes of all the big city mayors around these issues where uh, right now what's happening is uh, two things, I would say. The the first one is is that uh, just over a year ago, there was uh, publicly available comments and letters that were sent from the ministry and to all the cities that were being affected uh, by new housing legislation, indicating that they would make the cities whole if that revenue loss occurred within our cities. And that was a year ago, and we still have no clarity on that, and that, that commitment has not been followed through. Mm. Then secondary to that is that there is now a... Uh, like a progress report or a progress accountability chart that the province has put out that is tracking how the housing starts are occurring in each of our cities. And the criteria that's being used currently is that it has to be counted as a housing start only if there is a foundation poured. Right. But the issue with that is that municipalities do not have any influence over that is- that issue we we are done in our part of the of the process of getting housing built when councils approve the development yeah. so what we're trying to do with the with the province is trying to work with them to say look we don't mind being tracked i don't me personally i have no problem being tracked and to be accountable but we have to have the right criteria that makes sense and is fair. So is it as simple as, I, you know, I, I, your numbers are very strong. There's many municipalities that are. Um, but I mentioned Burlington. There's 26 cities less than halfway towards meeting their targets this year. Um, Mississauga's one. Markham's one. So those mayors come under fire. Is it a combination of, of a mayor and council just being too stiff, maybe too nimbyish, Or is, it, is, it, is there more to it than that? So I believe, and this is just my opinion, I I deal with the mayors all the time. And we are united 
in trying to get more housing built. And some of these numbers that the province is releasing just don't jive at all with the actual numbers that these municipalities have when it comes to approving new uh, developments and housing within their city. And as I said, after councils approve things, even after a permit is issued, we still have no say or influence or we can't compel a developer to actually go pour a foundation. So to be Because they'll say it's what, too expensive? They'll say that they've yeah. got their reasons, right? Interest rates, I don't have the staff, I'm 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 stuck exactly. on other projects. There's lots of reasons, right? There's lots of reasons and some of them are extremely valid, like the ones you just mentioned there. So this isn't trying to point fingers at developers to say, you know, they're not doing a good enough job. Well, look at the interest rates right now or the labor issues and costs of materials. Exactly. So it's, this is a crisis that's affecting everyone. But then to just judge municipalities on housing starts when we have absolutely no say on when a foundation is poured by the development community, there's just a disconnect there. And so you know, I'm wanting to work with the, the, the new minister, and I think there's some really good collaboration that can happen there. Uh, you know, he's got a lot on his plate that he just started with, and, you know, Minister Calandra is, is doing the best that he can do, and I look forward to working yeah. with him and, and all the other mayors do, too, to try to figure out how we can make this criteria a, a bit more uh, fair. Have you called another mayor before? Um, you don't have to say who and said, like, what's going on? Like, almost get your act together. You're making us look bad. Why Why so slow on this? It's important for everybody in the GTA and, and Southern Ontario. No, because because we're that, that, that call doesn't need to happen because my colleagues, all the mayors, are united in getting more housing done. And you know what? I, have, I would actually have no problem calling out uh, a mayor if, if that was the case. So I'm not trying to hide it behind anything or not say anything out loud here. No, but, no, but, uh, I, but I guess I'll phrase it better. Aren't some mayors, don't you look at some mayors and go, ah, you're, you know, the council, all the community groups that say, we don't want that duplex on our street. We don't, we don't, we only want single family dwellings. Some mayors are appeasing those people in those communities, aren't they? That is something that I think is absolutely gone. That, mm. that is not something that's happening recently at all. It's not that I see, it's especially with all of the different yeah. zoning changes that have been made. You know, now things don't even have to come to our councils because yeah. they're already available to be built as of right in our cities. So this just comes down to the climate, the financial climate. Uh, to, yeah. to making sure people are staying in their own lanes and still being accountable in those own lanes. And I think we can get to something that's going to be better for everybody and not point fingers back and forth. I got you. That's encouraging. Cam Guthrie, Mayor Guelph, thanks for the time today. Let's keep visiting on this front. You got it.